What's really true about what's happening is it's not just happening to you. It's happening to everybody, right? Costs have gone up 30% from pre-COVID, if not more on construction materials for everybody. Interest rates have gone up at the same pace for everybody. People that raised investor money that are under delivering right now, perhaps, that's happening to everybody, right? So it's not that tough of a story to tell. You know, don't be too fearful of having to go deliver that message because it's not just you. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate investing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Scott Williams from Align Capital. And this is actually Scott's second appearance on the show. He was previously on the show just a few months before the COVID pandemic hit, and he taught us about various aspects of commercial real estate debt that folks don't know about when they're getting into it. Specifically, he taught us about yield maintenance and defeasance and a few other factors that people don't know about that are basically prepayment penalties in the commercial real estate lending space. And don't worry, he's going to redefine that for us today at a much more high level so you can understand those. But we're also digging into the current debt environment for commercial real estate and more specifically, multifamily, what his thoughts are about the current state of multifamily lending. There's a lot of floating rate debt out there, how investors should be modeling that debt in their underwriting, and also digging into his thoughts about the future and the potential future movements of interest rates in into 2023 and beyond. This is a great conversation. Scott's an exceptionally knowledgeable guy in debt and equity as it pertains to real estate investing. A lot of great knowledge in this one. We're just getting a sliver of what he knows and I'm very happy to have him back on the show. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial, multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind, I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Scott Williams from Align Capital. We're talking about debt and commercial real estate investing. Without any further ado, here we go. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today and for coming back on the show. For our listeners out there who somehow missed your first appearance, whatever, three years ago on the <laughs> show, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your business and your background? Yeah. Hey, thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. December 2019 was my last show. So uh, excited to be here. Show's had a lot of great success since then. So congratulations thanks. on that. But uh, Scott Williams, managing partner of Align Capital. When I talked to you last time, for the first five years of our company from 2015 through early 2020, we were just a debt and equity uh, advisory and intermediary group for commercial real estate investors. Uh, so advise on uh, debt and help place debt and also equity. In January, 2020, we launched uh, an investment sales platform to marry that, to marry the debt and equity group. And uh, we sell multifamily, mobile home, 
uh, retail and industrial deals throughout the Southeast and uh, are trying to grow that platform and get good folks in on that side. So um, I uh, still help run the uh, capital advisory group and then kind of help run the whole operations uh, with two other partners. And uh, it's joy to come every day. So thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me. Awesome, man. Well, it's great to speak with you again. And you know, it's interesting to think about how much the world changed since our conversation in uh, the the winter of uh, 2019. But uh, <laughs> for the listeners who somehow missed our first conversation, we talked about a few key aspects of commercial real estate debt and some of the, I don't want to say risks, but some of the terms that people don't necessarily understand when they're getting into uh, commercial real estate debt. And I hope we, I wish we could uh, run over those uh, a couple of times, just sort of yield maintenance, defeasance. Tell us about those so we can have kind of a baseline for this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So still to this day, the number one thing we coach around when we're placing debt for our investors, especially in the non-recourse world, because in multifamily uh, and large commercial transaction investing, you know, non-recourse financing is, is, a, is a big component, right? So a lot of times when you're looking at uh, for the multifamily world, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans, you have yield maintenance and defeasance. You also have that in CMBS and a lot of other, um, you know, maybe life insurance company loans. And, you know, knowing your business plan going in and knowing your hold period when you buy an asset, when you place that debt on is so important because the number one most debilitating thing to, uh, to returns on a transaction are not knowing what your prepayment penalty is if you're going to exit that deal early. And, you know, quick refresher, yield maintenance is, you know, when you pay off a yield maintenance loan, uh, you have to pay off the current balance of the loan. So the principal balance, but then you have to pay off all future interest payments on that loan with the discount rate to the nearest term uh, treasury with the nearest term maturity. So in today, uh, the 10-year popped quite a bit. 10 years has been very volatile, but today I think the 10-year reached 324 so uh, if you were in a loan that had like eight years left on it, they'd probably use the 10-year treasury rate as the, as the discount rate and give you the discount rate using 3.24%, but that's not a very big discount rate. So you're going to be paying net present value of you know, almost full boat on all future interest payments. So knowing that when you're headed in is, is huge. Defeasance is a little different, but uh, very similar. The good news is for folks that are in yield maintenance and defeasance is a rising interest rate environment can help those penalties come down for your people that might uh, borrow from banks that might be in a swap position. Uh, in a swap, you can actually be in the money um, on that. So when you do a swap with a bank, they are actually taking on the loan payments of a fixed rate asset um, and they are paying floating rate interest payments or it can be vice versa, depending on which one you are. But if rates are rising and they're in a lower fixed rate period, uh, the bank might be out of the money on that swap. So they may be actually paying, coming out of pocket some on that. So they'll actually, they'll actually pay you a little additional on top of your principal to, uh, to pay that loan off. So, you know, big topics, a lot of things, you know, swap can, can go either way, but swap, yield maintenance or defeasance. For your listeners, anytime you, you're looking at entering a loan and those words, uh, they're not curse words. I call them buzzwords, right? They're not curse words, but they're buzzwords. You should really kind of stop and make sure you really understand what those are because uh, at the end of the day, uh, if you're in a longer term fixed rate loan, 
and you need to exit that loan early, uh, it can be pretty painful and uh, can be debilitating to your returns. So um, a lot of interesting things regarding that. But yeah, that was what we covered until this day. Uh, still, still the number one thing we coach around, I would say. Yeah, it's a, it's a very big topic that a lot of folks, especially as they transition from single family investing, whether you know, maybe building their own little small portfolio into larger commercial multifamily, they don't really see those things coming because if you buy a house and live in it and then you pay off the loan, great, you know, no problem for me, right? I don't have to pay the, the person who currently holds the note any future payments. I've paid off the principal and I'm totally done not so in commercial real estate. So I'm glad that we uh, we got to touch on that. Now, I'd like to dig into, and we find ourselves today in a rising interest rate environment. And to my mind, based on the Fed's mandates and everything that they've said, I think the rate hikes are just going to keep coming. Who knows how fast, but until inflation slows down, I think they're probably just going to keep coming. I'd like to dig into risks and, and your thoughts on taking out debt on commercial real estate in a rising interest rate environment, strategies, risk, all that kind of a thing. So let's dig into that. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned it was a completely different world the last time we spoke yes. and it is. And it's interesting. The Every year that goes by that I'm in business, I just, I learn, you know, tenfold, I feel like. <laughs> so that's, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Right. But, you know, when we spoke in 2019, we were doing, uh, we were kind of transitioning from doing a lot of permanent debt on loans, long-term fixed rate debt, because debt deals so cash flowed. Cap rates were, you know, moderate. The buying world was competitive, but not ultra competitive. And you could almost get full leverage on deals, uh, you know, really boring asset class. Obviously, multifamily is incredibly competitive. But we, we were starting to transition from doing a lot of permanent debt to a lot of bridge financing because the debt markets were starting to tighten up a little bit. Uh, and uh, I would say a lot of the bridge debt that we wrote back in 2019 was you know, 75% or 80% of purchase price plus 100% of your CapEx. Wow. Could be up to 85% of the total cost on a deal, you know, even more. And that's non-recourse floating rate money, you know, really, really great debt financing. Today's volatile market and and really, you know, the floating rate market has driven that to debt service constrained loans. Those same exact loans we were writing at, at 80% of your purchase plus 100% of your CapEx. Some of our best deals are looking at 65 to 70% total cost right now, right? So between 15 to 20% of loan proceeds have contracted. And that's due to rising interest rate environments. Also, more competition in the market, you know, higher prices on deals. And, you know, really the, the debt service constraints coming into play because of, of higher debt. And that's really changed a lot of the landscape. And throughout this year, we've seen seller expectations not want to budge, not want to budge, not want to budge. But as we enter late third quarter and early fourth quarter, you know, I think some things have got to start giving for transactions to, to really pick back up. But how has that reflected in terms of this business decisions and business making for, as it relates back to prepayment penalties, you know, we've had a lot of clients come to us. First thing we did when we saw all this start happening in, in really March uh, was, all right, let's look at every deal. Let's look at every short-term deal we wrote, you know, in the past five years. And let's look at who might need to, who might need help right now, who might we need to help. And the reality was a lot of people were still in pretty good shape. And even our people in floating rate 
Granted, we didn't know how much it was going to go up, and it's gone up tremendously. Even our people in floating rate, based on their business plan, we're still in the right position. And, you know, I caution those people and, and really kind of want to coach around those people that are like, rates are going up, rates are going up. It's time to lock in. I've got to lock in. I can't be in this. Uh, I can't be in this uncertainty anymore. You know, rates can't continue to go up and up and up. And I go back to that conversation about prepayment penalties, depending if, you, if you know, you're truly only holding this for two to three more years or four more years before you're trying to have a capital event. It's not time to go lock in 10-year money on that. Um, and while we need to be cognizant of where these rate increases are going to go and what that's going to do to debt service and potential capital calls, which is a very tough conversation to have, you know, we can kind of model around that. If anything, I think the Fed, you know, it's, I'm not an armchair quarterback. I try not to be too critical. Obviously, everyone knows at this point the Fed got it pretty, pretty bad wrong that inflation was largely, <laughs> largely transitory, yeah. right? And it was not going to be as short-lived as possible. But the one thing that the Fed has done really well is they've really tried to, to telepath all their next moves, at least their next moves that they can see, the one to two moves. And that's really helped the market out and, and really helped the market adjust and price in what's going on. And I think the market's pretty efficiently priced in, you know, the next couple of moves, albeit it's created a lot of volatility. But ultimately, you know, rates can't continue to go up and up and up and up. I think the things that if we start seeing, you know, month over month reports in uh, August were 0, 0.0 month over month for CPI. You know, we're about to get the September reading headed into the end of September for, for the Fed meeting and potential monetary policy decision. You know, if you see that start to stagnate or come down more, those are really positive indications that this pain might start to get alleviated you know, in the first half of next year. And we're still putting people in floating rate debt, even today, even knowing that we might go up another 75 or 100 basis points by the end of the year. Because we think that at some point, it's, it's going to top out. And you know, being in, being in a higher interest rate environment on a floating rate basis today is still going to be better than paying a multi seven figure prepayment penalty, you know, in <laughs> 36 months when you didn't anticipate that come. And so, you know, still things we're trying to coach around really want people to be conscious of, of where the market is that the rates might continue to still go up some that rates ultimately can't go up forever, but, but really still they have to be conscious of those prepayment penalties and, and, you know, floating rate debt is, is still not your enemy right now just has to be looked into a, a tremendous amount more than it was in 2019 when we, when we last spoke. Well, we never know what the future holds, and that includes where we stood at the end of 2019. And you know, <laughs> even though we know what happened, we didn't know at the time what was going to happen, and we don't know now what's going to happen into the future. You mentioned uh, some of the these clients being in good shape based on their business plan. What did you mean by that? Is that looking forward do they have good potential you know value add down the road what are your thoughts on you know what did you mean by the look they look to be in good shape based on their business plan yeah i would say paying close attention to what your business plan is and just knowing when your capital events need to be either a by mandate to you know two if you're a closed in fund obviously there's a wind down period and a in a return period but then also you know Still, if you're doing a good job executing your rehab and you're doing a good job in your mid-process and you're not having issues with materials 
and you're not having issues with labor right now, you know, continuing to keep your foot on the gas towards cash flow, right? Um, you know, keep executing even in the wake of these increasing rate environments. Yes, returns are shrinking because debt service is coming up and you're floating rate deals right now. But at the end of the day, keep your eye on the prize. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a reevaluation period. Don't get me wrong. You know, maybe it is time to pivot and say, hey, we need to exit earlier. Hey, we need to do this. But by no means is it a time to kind of hit the panic button and take some long-term fixed rate debt right now just to cure some current, you know, current situation when there might be some brief pain in this interim. But ultimately, execute on the business plan, reevaluate the business plan, but don't, don't just change it just for this. Because what's really true about what's happening is it's not just happening to you. It's happening to everybody, right? Costs have gone up 30% from pre-COVID, if not more on construction materials for everybody. Interest rates have gone up at the same pace for everybody. People that raised investor money that are under delivering right now, perhaps, that's happening to everybody, right? So it's not that tough of a story to tell. You know, don't be too fearful of having to go deliver that message because it's not just you. One of my buddies is, uh, one of my good buddies is a very successful wealth manager here uh, for one of the large investment banks. And uh, I was like, hey, we had lunch like two weeks ago. I was like, how's your life going? He was like, man, I went into a meeting with one of my bigger clients today and told him he was down 9% and the guy almost kissed me. He was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was like, well, my retirement funds are down 20 plus. So you guys must be doing a great job when we're being down nine right? It's not specific to you or your investment. You know, everyone's having these same challenges. So, you know, if you're executing your business plan well, you know, keep the faith, know that everyone's having this pain. And, and sometimes the only way out is through, right? There's no way out. There's only through and, and, you know, be cognizant of that as well. That's very reminiscent of, uh, makes me think of Jocko Willink, not only because I'm maybe, maybe because I'm reading one of his books right now. So what are your thoughts on underwriting in, in business plans, underwriting a floating rate debt. I mean, your lender these days is going to require you to buy a, an interest rate cap, but should folks be underwriting at the capped interest rate? Should they not bank on getting that? Should they go a little lower? What do you think about just underwriting this floating rate debt in the light of, say, multifamily? We'll just focus on multifamily now. Sure, absolutely. We're doing a lot of negotiating caps and where they need to be. And it's very difficult. We close the deal was a very large deal last week and they bought a cap out of the money or a cap right up against where we were already at. So they bought a cap at two and a half percent while the 30 day average so far was hitting two and a half percent. Oh, wow. And then ended up being, it, it ended up being incredibly expensive in ter- relative to the deal size, but they modeled that in and it's a, it's a long-term hold. It's actually a nonprofit long-term holding group. And so it was better for them to go ahead and model in what the sunk upfront cost of being at the cap versus riding the, the interest rate wave. It's very tough to make these bets and not, well, I won't even mention the bank. Uh, one of the top five banks <laughs> in the country, uh, we, we pay a lot of attention to a lot of different banks, um, investment banking group and then economists. You know, in fourth quarter of 2021, one of the top five bank uh, banks still, their their chief economists 
uh, and their economic outlook had zero percent, uh, zero rate hikes baked in for 2022. Oh, wow. For 2022. So it's really tough to, to project these things. That said, you know, it's also not that hard to look at where we are and the impact that the rate hikes are having and the fact that rates can't go up, in my opinion, more than another 100 to 125 basis points. I really thought, and the market priced in at the, at the August CPI reading when it was 0% month over month, which means it, it grew zero you, you know, month over month. It was still up, I think, 8.4% year over year, which was down from 9.1. You immediately saw the 10-year treasury take a bit of a dive. There are a couple of things going on there, and the bond market was signaling a few things, including economic pain, not to pick on the current administration for any reason, but you know this whole reclassification of recession, it's difficult to say what it is. I'm just starting to call it economic pain. There's going to be economic pain. The bond market started pricing in quite a bit of economic pain, um, of what we would consider historically recession with the inversion of the, the two to 10 and really across the yield curve for the, for the bond market. Uh, but, but what the bond market was really telling us was like, hey, we might see the rate hike sooner than later. The rate hikes have worked. Maybe the Fed's going to take their foot off the gas. And then, you know, Jay Powell came out, you know, the other week and said that, hey, you guys have gotten a little too excited here. <laughs> you know, rate hikes are still ahead of us and they may go on for longer than you think. The market that, that created a lot of volatility, and we've we've seen you know ultimately you know 50, 60 basis points of treasury volatility in the last few weeks based off these remarks. But I think at the end of the day, if you see where things are pricing, you see transaction activity, and you see deals that just don't even make you know don't even remotely uh, work right now, we see that in my opinion, we're going to see maybe you know one to two more rate hikes this year. I don't foresee any rate hikes for next year. As a betting man, I would really think they start to come down first half of next year, probably towards the later half of first half. But something, something very stubborn or black swan, again, would, would have to happen to drastically change that outlook, which, you know, last time we talked was pre-pandemic. I'm not ruling out <laughs> any black swan events, you know, uh, it, anymore. But I, I really think ultimately things will, will normalize and, you know, they, Rates will have to start coming down and, you know, tracks, transaction activity will figure out how to happen. Either seller expectations, market, uh, market-based solutions in terms of other financing, uh, financing options that are out there, you know, perhaps in terms of if multifamily that you mentioned, I mean, who's to say if, if transaction activity really seizes up and we're seeing incredibly low leverage from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that sort of thing. You know, they have not let up on their underwriting standards, you know, since 2008, or the financial crisis catapulted in 2008. But who's to say that we won't start seeing 35, 40, 50-year amortizations on deals, right? I mean, at the end of the day, those are government-backed entities for the purpose of making sure that housing stays affordable for Americans. There will be intervention. Or there will be another market-based solution that comes in and helps these things. So I keep the faith in those sort of things in terms of underwriting and how to underwrite those rate hikes. I think I half answer that with, you know, you probably have to bake in another hike or two. But I, I don't 
continue baking in this trend that we're on. I think that ultimately you could start to bank on normalization and potentially even some cuts next year. So does super conservative underwriting look at 100 basis points over where we are and it's staying there and being able to do the deal with that? Tough to say. Is it ever feasible to bake in rate cuts or, or conservative to bake in the rate cuts? That's tough to say also. I think sticking with, you know, I gave some feedback to a group last week that was actually looking for equity and they had 34% income growth in the first three years, which we've absolutely seen historically. Uh, we do a lot in Atlanta. Atlanta's been on a crazy run of, of, of rent growth. But they had 34% rent growth with only 5% a year expense growth. And then after year three, they had 11% rent growth year over year into perpetuity with only 5%. And I just gave them feedback that, hey guys, at this point in time, 34% rent growth coming off the last three years, while maybe 100% feasible is going to be a tough sell to equity. You know, let's maybe look at being a little more conservative there. Uh, and then also having your rent growth outpacing your expense, gro expense growth into perpetuity, I think is always going to be kind of frowned upon. You know, it absolutely may happen. And we've seen it historically, especially these past few years, but it's, it's not sound underwriting that's, that's going to get to the, going to get attention of capital, both debt and equity, if you will. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. You might be able to hit a really great stretch number in, you know, reality. Hey, maybe you can do it. But in our plan, let's be more conservative and, you know, stick with a, a just a more straightforward uh, numbers looking into the future and not be uh, overly aggressive, which uh, makes a lot of sense. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Scott, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before and you've <laughs> answered those questions. I know you studied for that, that quiz, but I hate to break it to you. I've got three new questions for you. Are All you right. ready to go? I am. I told you to put me on the spot. You offered to tell me what they were. I, and I said, let's, let's put me on the spot. So let's see what I got. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have good answers. First one, what is your favorite book, whether for business or personal, you know, enjoyment reasons? Yeah. So, uh, there are two books that my partners and I kind of treat as Bible, but we have absolutely one favorite. One is Traction. Uh, has a lot of great principles in it. EOS, mm -hmm. Gina Wickman. Um, I'm part of Strategic Coach. Uh, Gina Wickman is still part of Strategic Coach, but a lot of great principles of that. But another book, and I've probably read this since we met, is The Road Less Stupid. Keith Cunningham. <laughs> a phenomenal book. And you know why it's a phenomenal book? Because in the very opening dialogue of the book, he's like, you know what? Everything I say here may not, might not apply to you, you know? Yeah, I'm going to say some really great things. Some things may be completely ass backwards for what you're trying to accomplish. You need to take into context what I'm saying and also take it with a grain of salt. 
which is a lot of my a lot of my um, advice to to entrepreneurs is like the challenge is we have to consume a tremendous amount of information because not all of it applies to us and some of it's crap, right? So mm-hmm. we have to filter through so much information and in, in how it applies to us. And, and I just think Keith takes that um, in a perspective in a huge way. You know, he was he was I think a centimillionaire before completely went bankrupt and is back to centimillionaire status, which a lot of it's like, hey, I thought I knew how to swim, but really I was riding, riding a wave and, and make sure you're not doing that, which to a lot of real estate leads and, and investors and syndicators out there, you know, that's been the case for a long time. So, so uh, The Road Less Stupid, Keith Cunningham, absolute favorite book right now. Nice. That one is on my list. It's been recommended. I got a lot of books on my list though. That's the problem, but uh, I know. <laughs> comes highly recommended. So great to hear. All right. So the second one, what is an indispensable tool, piece of software, piece of technology, maybe a team member, something in your business that you just could not possibly live without? Hmm. A piece of software or technology that I cannot live without. This is going to sound really basic, and I'm sure there's a lot more sophistication out there, but I try to put everything into my iPhone calendar. I put all kinds of stuff on it. I wake up in the morning, I check my calendar, and then I check my weather. I check the weather for the day. Like, what do I technically need to wear this meeting? And what's actually feasible based on the weather? But uh, but no, I think having the calendar and uh, really having it plan my schedule, but uh, that sounds basic, but I also plan free time in my calendar, right? So I'll block out things that I, I'm not willing to compromise on and not willing to book over. And then I'll add my wife to things so that she's always in the nose what I'm doing. You know, it's super simple, but I think uh, I, I think my calendar, man, that's that's such a terrible answer. And I'm so basic in terms of, I'm a finance guy. I don't have a lot of cool tools. <laughs> I have a Surface that I can ride on. Uh, one of my partners still, he has an Apple, but it's a desktop. And we tried to go do our draft in another room the other day. I could, I could, and he couldn't, which I thought was hilarious. So, but uh, hopefully that, that's a terrible answer. But uh, on the spot, that's that's the best one I can come up with. I think that's good. My my Google Calendar runs everything. That I'm yeah I'm very much uh, of the same mind. But I'm an Android guy. Sorry, I don't like. I didn't care. Okay, for yeah, yeah, no faults there. <laughs> uh, so last question: Where is somewhere you're excited to go in 2023? probably a business conference or something along those lines. 2023. So I'm kind of the conference guy for, for the partnership, if you will. Things I'm looking forward to, it's kind of specific to my industry. The Mortgage Bankers Association Commercial Real Estate Finance Conference is is really big for us. For multifamily, NMHC, they moved it to Las Vegas this year, which I wish they'd all just... I wish they put all conferences in the winter in Dallas, in like middle of the country, right? And then everything in summer, maybe put in Chicago. Like let's meet in the middle because it's going to be a haul to get out there. Mortgage Bank Association, San Diego, favorite city in the country, but you burn a whole day back and forth. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say, you know, NMHC, Mortgage Bank Association, both very good conferences. And then I am on the executive committee for Urban Land Institute. Here in uh, upstate South Carolina, we actually put on a very good capital markets conference, uh, more as so as it applies to the Carolinas. Uh, but that's in November in uh, Kiowa, South Carolina, which is a beautiful place to be. Uh, I would say every year, those are probably the three that I look to the most. Um, kind of bang for your buck, people in the room and, and content you're able to get. Um, so hopefully that wasn't a cheat answer with with kind of three. But uh, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a three. 
Those are great. Those are great. And Scott, I want to thank you for joining us today, coming back on the show. It's been great getting a uh, market update, talking about real estate debt and everything around it with you. If uh, folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you or what you're up to, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website is www.aligncapital.com. Uh, Align is A-L-I-N-E. Uh, and for those of you that are be able to find in the show notes, hopefully it'll be right there. And then uh, my email address is swilliams. So just S for Scott, Williams at aligncapital.com. I'm usually happy to give out my phone number. I found that email is actually better because I can queue when I can get back to you. Sometimes I'll miss a voicemail and it'll just go. So while I'm uh, happy to give that out, it's actually not the best way <laughs> to reach me. Uh, so definitely email me um, and or come to the website because my assistant can get to either of those and, and help me out on uh, on getting back to you. So Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.